Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So occasionally on Sundays and solemnities and, and feasts like Ascension, Pentecost, occasionally the church in the lectionary has several options for the second reading, option A, B, and C, and I realized too that before Mass, I didn't tell you which option I wanted. So we were sitting over there, I was sweating, I was like, oh gosh, I hope it's the right one. Deacon's crossing his fingers. You read the right one though, you nailed it. It's like, oh, that'll be so awkward if she preaches, reads the wrong reading and I'm preaching on a different reading. But we were all, we're the Holy Spirit took care of it. It was great. So, friends, this weekend, this weekend's a huge weekend for our church, especially here in Cleveland. We had the, the priesthood uh, ordination yesterday at the Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist. Bishop Molesic ordained six new men to the priesthood. Six men to the priesthood. They're not new men. They are men. They are now new priests. And uh, it's awesome. Freshly minted priests, and uh, I was there, and I got to, uh, I, I had the great honor and privilege of vesting one of them. I put the, after the prayer of ordination, you, uh, you, you select a priest to, to come down, and you take off your, your deacon stole, and you put on a priest stole and a priest chasuble, and I had the great honor of vesting now Father David Hoynotsky, who I've known since he was in sixth grade, seventh grade, and it's just been a real privilege to watch him grow. So such a cool day, and today, today is the uh, seven-year anniversary of my ordination. So I was ordained a priest seven years ago today. Oh. Ah, shucks. Yeah, seven years ago today. And uh, man, time flies, and it's been an awesome ride. The best is yet to come. So today we celebrate, uh, as I said, the Feast of the Ascension. It's the second Glorious mystery for those of us who pray the rosary, the second glorious mystery. And let's just start with that. So when we talk about these mysteries, it in, indeed is a revelation of God's glory, right? God mounts his throne to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. This glorious elevation of the Son of Man in his humanity to this higher pitch of existence. It is a glorious revelation of who he is. And it's a mystery, but here's what, we, here's what we don't mean by mystery. We're not saying that, like, no one's cracked the code yet of the ascension. Like, oh, maybe we'll figure it out next year. No, that's not what we mean by mystery in the church. In fact, the word mystery comes from the Greek word muain, muain, which roughly translates to shut your mouth. <laughs> that the church has discerned that there's these realities that are just so beyond our capacity to comprehend that all you can do before them is just to close your mouth and just to be in awe and wonder. That these mysteries are, are, are not something that we can figure out. They're something that are beyond our capacity to understand. That it's like, Thomas Aquinas said, it's like an owl gazing into the noonday sun. It's not that there's not enough light, that there's too much light that he's blinded. That's us looking at this mystery of the ascension. It's beyond us. It's so much. It is so, so, so much. So throughout the Easter season, the church is inviting us to contemplate the Paschal mystery, right? The suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord. The full rescue mission of Jesus that he descended into our humanity in the incarnation, takes upon himself our weakness, 
goes to war against the ancient foe. He's, he throws down the dragon, takes our humanity to the depths of hell, rises from the dead, ascends to the heights, and then he takes, he takes our humanity and inserts it, if you will, into the very heart and life of the Trinity. But that's not even the fullness of the good news yet. Like, it's like one of those infomercials, but wait, there's more, right? Next week, as we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, what we celebrate there is that not only has the Lord descended to the lowest place and then ascended to the highest place, he will again descend and give the gift of the Spirit to his church. Like you see this movement, it's this constant drawing, coming down and drawing up and calling down and drawing up. The, the Lord's the only person who has said, you know, intelligibly I could say, that before his death and resurrection, before his ascension, he says to his apostles, it is better for you that I go. It is better for you that I go. Imagine being one of his apostles, right? You've just witnessed Jesus' crucifixion, his death, now his resurrection, and there he is in front of you, risen and glorified, and he's saying to you, it's better, it's better for you that I go. And you're thinking, how could it be better than this? How could it be better that you go? Because this seems pretty awesome. He's saying, it's better for you that I go because I, unless I go, I can't descend in the gift of the Holy Spirit. I cannot be an indwelling presence. More on that next week, but that's the astounding gift of the Spirit, that the Spirit becomes, God becomes an indwelling presence instead of an exterior presence to us. So the ascension, what we're celebrating today, is the Lord Jesus. He takes our humanity into the very heart of the Trinity, that he doesn't shuffle off his humanity. He takes it and he inserts it into the very heart of the Trinity. So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of look at uh, this second reading, this second reading here, uh, as a Lord of, a sort, as sort of like window into the, the Feast of the Ascension. So Paul says this in his letter to the Ephesians. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation resulting in knowledge of him. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call. I want to pause there. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call. Friends, what is the hope that belongs to his call. I think if you were to survey, if you were to ask most Christians on this matter, asking the question, you'd hear something like, well, the hope is that when I die, I hope that I'll go and get to be with God in heaven. Like, isn't that the hope? Isn't that the good news? Well, then if you press them further and you say, okay, well, when you say I, like when I die, I get to go and be with him in heaven, what do you mean by that? Like what gets to be with him in heaven? When you say I, what are you talking about? They would likely respond, oh, well, like my spirit, my soul, my soul gets to go and be with God in heaven. Well, then what happens to your body? Because your, your body seems to be a pretty important part of what makes you, you, Oh, well, my, my, I don't know, my body, I guess, just like stays here in the ground. It goes the way of all bodily things, decomposes, you know, just returns to the elements. And isn't that the gospel? 
right? That like when I die, my soul can escape my body and I can go to heaven. My, my body does what, it's, what it does. Like, isn't that the good news? Isn't that the hope that's at the heart of the gospel that one day we'll be able to like shed this mortal coil, as Shakespeare said, and we'll be able to float up disembodied, free from, finally, free from all of that bodiliness, all of that aging and all of that weight that you wish you could get rid of but you can't get rid of because it's just there. All the wrinkles and the sickness and the disease and all the aches and pains, don't you wish finally we could just be rid of it? A lot of you are going, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that the gospel? No. (laughs) Nope. That's a hard no. That is not Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's, that's dualism. That's Manichaeism. That's Gnosticism. It's, it's anything but Catholicism. N.T. Wright, who's a scripture scholar, an Anglican, who I admire tremendously. I think his work is brilliant. N.T. Wright has said this about modern Christians. He said, we modern Christians, we have platonized our eschatology. I know, big words for 1030 Mass. We have platonized our eschatology. What does that mean? Essentially this. Essentially what every Christian kind of believes about the afterlife, that when I die, I separate from my body, my soul goes up to be with God, disembodied in this sort of spirit realm. And like the hope is that one day, me as a mere mortal, I'll be rid of my earthbound existence. Like that, again, that's Gnosticism, that's dualism, that's Manichaeism. Manichaeism was a a, a heresy that, all of those are heresies that were condemned throughout the church's history. But Manichaeism is is this idea that says that the spirit realm is good and the material bodily realm is bad. Spirit good, body bad. All this comes from Plato, the ancient Greek philosopher, who split reality into these two realms, this disembodied spirit realm, which is superior, and this material fleshy bodily realm which is definitely inferior like and that's not christianity like because if you look at the gospels if you look at jesus in the gospels he hardly seems interested in what we would call heaven like you look at the new testament writers you look at saint paul you look at jesus you look at you know peter and john all the ones who wrote the new testament they're they're not talking about what happens to us when we die they're talking about this phrase they keep using new creation New heavens, new earth, new creation, resurrection of the body. Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection for those who have died. This is the imagery that they are using. Like, and this is what this solemnity is revealing to us, that Jesus, when he returns to the Father, he doesn't shed his humanity. Not like a, like a snake getting out of its like, shell. Like He doesn't molt his humanity to go be with the Father. In his humanity, yes, his resurrected, glorified humanity, but in his humanity, he returns to the heart of the Trinity. He takes our humanity into the Trinity. He takes our humanity home. In other words, like this is the hope of the call revealed by Jesus' full Paschal mystery, that our humanity is not deleted it's completed. It's not deleted, it's completed. Earlier this week on Thursday, I was with my buddy Father Ryan Mann. We were having lunch and we were talking about the Feast of the Ascension. And what we were talking about, we were discussing how there's a very important distinction between two words when it comes to Christianity and this feast in particular. The distinction between of and from. Of and from. This is what I mean. That Does Jesus offer us redemption from our bodies 
or redemption of our bodies? Does Jesus offer redemption from bodiliness and all of the struggles of humanity, like I get to finally leave it all behind, or does he actually offer redemption of those realities? Does he offer redemption from my humanity, my struggles, my story, my past, my wounds, my sin, my shame, my regret? Does he offer me redemption from that, meaning I get to just, once I'm a Christian, I can leave all that behind, that's all gone, I don't have to think about it, he's not going to ask me about it. Or is he offering me redemption of my humanity? That all of that stuff, my past, my wounds, my sins, my shame, my regrets, my struggles, all of the junk, is he going to redeem all of it? Is it redemption of my humanity? I think a lot of us want redemption from and not redemption of. Like, I just wish I could just, you know, like, package up all my humanity, my struggles, all of that, put it in a briefcase, drop it off at, you know, the Jesus baggage depot, and I never have to think about it again. He's letting me just move on from my humanity. Jesus is not going to let you move on from your humanity. He adores your humanity. He calls it sacred. He calls it good. And all of that stuff, it's not deleted, all of that stuff of your humanity, all of your past, all of that becomes the fertile compost out of which he grows glorious things is the idea. That this is what the Feast of the Ascension is saying, that he's offering us the of and not the from. We want the from. We want the from. We don't want to go through the Paschal mystery. We don't want to go the way of the cross. We're just like, Lord, I don't want to go through bodily suffering. I don't want to go through death. He's like, no, no, no. I've made a way through all of it. It's going to be redemption of the body, redemption of the flesh, redemption of your humanity. So what we profess in the creed every single Sunday, I believe in the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Whose body? Not just his body, Everybody, if you have a body, raise your hand. Okay, just make sure there's no ghosts here. Okay. Redemption of your body. Redemption of your humanity. This is what we profess in. Like, think about Jesus in the, how Mel Gibson depicts it in The Passion of the Christ when he meets, when Jesus meets Mary along the way. He says to her, Behold, Mother, I make all things new. He doesn't say, Behold, I make all new things. He's not saying, I'm just going to etch a sketch, all that other junk that came before, and I'm just going to start all over. No, he's saying, I'm going to take all of it, and I'm going to raise it up. So let's just tie all this together here and try and put a ribbon on all of this. Back to St. Paul. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call. The hope that belongs to his call is not that when I die, hopefully I get to go be with God in heaven, this disembodied spirit life. No, the hope is the resurrection of the body. That yes, death will come for me. Death will come for you. But because of Jesus, death can't hold us. And so yes, while there is a separation of body and soul, that's not the end of the story. Because there's life after death, and then there's this life after life after death. When we get our bodies back, the redemption of the body. Life after death is what most Christians believe disembodied spirit world matter world what we believe what the new testament proclaims is this life after life after death when we have a new creation new heavens new earth everything is reconstituted through the power of the spirit this is the hope 
The resurrection of the body, of his body first, then your body and my body and every body will be transformed. The hope that belongs to his call is not that everything that's painful in my past just gets to go away, but all of it, all of it gets to be transformed. Everything gets to be transformed. Everything gets to be transfigured. Everything will be touched by love. Every wound will become glorious. Everything shameful and dark and awful will become a trophy of glory in the kingdom. That's the hope. That your humanity is not deleted, it's completed. And we heard in the prayers that where the brave shepherd has gone before, the flock will follow. That where the head has gone, the body will follow. Friends, this is the astounding invitation at the heart of Christianity. This is the incredible declaration of the goodness of our humanity. This is the exalted revelation of our destiny. That your humanity, just like Jesus, is just like Mary's, one day, God willing, by his grace, will be reconstituted, taken up, and in the very heart of the Trinity. Don't ask me what that means. Because all we can say is, uh, that's what we can say to that. This is the hope. This is the hope. 